0: for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much
1: money he just saved us?
0: This is The Financial Physician with Lou Skatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio.
1: It's also my pleasure to see to it the decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates.
0: This is Financial advice you can take to the bank he's your money man show me the money your source for straightforward no nonsense financial advice bring me your money questions because i'm here to help and now here he is the financial physician america's money doctor (laughs) lou scatigna greetings my friends how are you welcome to today's edition of the financial physician lou scatigna here certified financial planner And your Money Doctor each and every Sunday, 7 to 9, live here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com where we have the podcast. Uh, So uh, many of you do listen to the podcast. I don't care how you listen to our program as long as you listen to it. Well, welcome to the program. Today's a special recorded edition of The Financial Physician as I am in Italy. And uh, uh, I recorded this show. It's uh, 9-11. Uh, and, uh, uh, so it's a week old. So a lot of things could have happened in the week following this recording of the show that obviously I'm not talking about because I don't know about it, but, um, we have a good show for you. Uh, I got a, a fresh new subject at the open and then I'm going to give you, I've picked the best of Lou. I've picked, uh, over this last year, I've gone, went through every show and I picked financial topics um, that we've covered in the past, and we're using those, those topics. We're using those segments. Uh, we piece together a program for you. We've got a really good two-hour show for you. A lot of things uh, I'm going to bring to you, a lot of financial stuff uh, that I think you're going to find interesting. I find it to be the best segments we've done uh, all year long. All right, let's start off talking about um, retirement. Uh, many baby boomers now are entering their retirement years uh, and they're wondering, when should I retire? That's always the big question we all have, right? When do I retire? Can I retire? Do I want to retire? But most people, the question is, can I retire? Can I financially retire? Am am I going to be okay? Now, I'm going to give you a five-minute exercise to see if you have enough to retire or about enough to retire. Now, There's lots of rules of thumb and assumptions in this exercise that may not apply to you. Now, if you want this to be more complicated, it probably should be more complicated. You should probably do more than I'm going to show you. But I'm going to give you just a basic framework uh, to see if you can retire today. Number one, figure out your expenses. Here's a simple trick. Uh, Look at the last two years of uh, annual statements from your bank accounts and divide uh, the total debits, all the cost, all the checks you wrote, all the ATM uh, money you took out, and divide it by 24 months. That's it. This is an accurate portrayal of your monthly expenses. Now, it's not going to show you every cash dollar you spent, but if you took it out of the ATM and then spent it, yeah, it's going to be there. So it's really not that hard to do because it takes into consideration unusual expenditures like uh, quarterly real estate taxes or uh, um, every six months you pay your, your car insurance, so annually you pay your homeowner's insurance. December we spend more money because it's the holidays. But if you just look at the, each, the, bottom, the end of each year, you look at your bank statements and just total up all the debits for every month, divide it by 12 or divide it by 24 if you do two years, you're going to see what your expenses per month are. Now, this got to encompass everything. Okay, it's got to encompass everything, Uh, but at least you get close to it. Now, you have to understand, too, that when you retire, you're not going to have the exact same expenses you had when you were working because you're not going to use as much fuel. You're not driving to work. You're not buying as many clothes if you need nice clothes for your job. But in some ways, you may spend more money. You know, maybe, you're, you know, you, you, you do more hobbies and travel and things like that. So, you know, you have to make some assumptions here how your expenses are going to change. Are they going to go down? they Are going to go up? And by how much? It's not easy to do. But if you don't want to even think about that, just think about oh, how am I living now? All right. Let's just go that way uh, and see what I'm looking at. Now, you have to gross this up a little bit because uh, you may be paying taxes. I mean, if you're taking money out of a retirement plan. Or you have a pension, uh, or your Social Security is going to be taxed because your income is too high. You have to you have to price that in. So maybe you got to add fifteen percent or twenty percent. So if your monthly expenses are, are ten thousand, when you figure it out based on your bank account, uh, and your 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 effective tax rate is twenty percent, uh, divide ten thousand by 0.8, and you're going to need twelve thousand five hundred a month, pre tax. To get the ten thousand you need to pay your bills. Let's say uh, you and your spouse are receiving uh, five thousand per month in social security. So you take the five thousand off the twelve thousand five hundred that you need. Uh, now you have to come up with seventy five hundred a month. Now I know these these numbers may be a little high for you, but it's just for example purposes. Now, if you have a pension, you could subtract subtract that money out. Alright, so say you get 5000 dollars a month in a pension. All right, now we're down to uh we're now down to uh twenty five hundred a month. Let's say two thousand a month you're short. Now let's let's assume that you're fifty five hundred short after that. All right, so you so you need twelve five in income pre-tax. After taxes, it's ten grand. You get five thousand from Social Security, and so say you get two thousand a month um from a pension, now you need fifty five hundred a month from your investments. Now there's a rule of thumb in that: What kind of income can I get from my investments? Well, you divide the money you need from your investments by four percent, and that shows you what the principal amount needs to be. So if you uh, need fifty five hundred dollars a month, that's t- times it by twelve, you need sixty six thousand a year from your investments. Divide 66000 by .04, which is 4%, and you'll get 1650000 So you would need 1650000 in an investment portfolio that you're taking 4% out to live a lifestyle where you'll need 12500 a month. If you have much less, well, you're going to have to work longer. Or you're going to have to have a, a job when you retire, a part-time job. Or you're going to have to pay down your savings. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, spending down your savings. I mean, I've I said this on the show many times. What did you save all this money for? Well, I saved it for retirement. But why won't you spend the principal? Oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to spend the interest I could earn on it. Well, the dividends I can get. I don't want to go into the principal. Are you crazy? And I say, why not? Isn't this money for your retirement? Let's figure out how many years you want this to last, how long you're going to last. Let's assume 20 years. You're, you're, you're 70 now. Let's, let's assume 90. Well, if you're 65 when you retire, let's just assume 25 years. Let's assume in a diversified portfolio, you'll average 6 to 7%. And now I could do a calculation on my computer that says how much you could take out a month with, let's say, a 7% return where your money will go to zero after 20 or 25 years. Isn't that what your savings are for? Isn't that why you saved all that money for retirement? You saved it for your retirement, not your kid's retirement, right? But psychologically, people have a big problem spending their nest egg. And I always use this analogy... um, with the squirrel. I have that in my book somewhere. And, and the squirrel, during the summer and the fall, uh, stores their acorns for the winter. Their nest acorns. Kind of nest egg, right? Uh, it kind of works together. right? So they have their nest egg corns. Uh, and uh, in the winter, let's uh, equate the winter with our retirement. The difference between us and the squirrel this squirrel eats their acorns during the winter. We don't want to eat all our acorns during retirement. That makes us crazy because we worry about security. I can't see my net worth going down. That's that 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 that's a tailspin. And just realize, everything is psychological when it comes to money. Later in the program, uh, I'm doing my segment on the psychology of money. One of the most important. Uh, topics I talk about on this program. And that's why it's included in this, this pre tape program while it's in the Best of the Financial Physician show because it's so important to understand your financial psychology because that's going to drive everything. right? But psychologically, for most Americans, when they come to see me, they don't say, Lou, I want to spend my money over 20 years. They say, Lou, what can I get out of this where my $500,000 does not go down? Well, whatever the yield is that that portfolio is going to give you, is what you could take out, and you'll have the original 500000 Now, that's fine if you want to leave it for inheritance for your kids or something like that, but obviously, you're going to live a different lifestyle than a person who is spending down their principal in addition to the 4% interest that they're earning, or the 4% return they're getting out of their portfolio. Maybe you could take out 7% a year if you're spending the principal, and at the end of 25 years, you have zero. Now, some people come to me and say that. They say, Lou, you know, I want to spend this money. I can't take it with me when I die. I don't have any children or my children are fine and they don't need my money. Uh, so I want to spend it in my retirement. Well, then I could figure out, okay, let's figure out what a portfolio we're going to put together for you. What's going to be the annual rate of return in that portfolio? It's an assumption. We're never going to have it exact. Uh, and Then let me do that calculation and figure out how long we want to keep it. Uh, we want this money to last. Uh, And then we could do a calculation. Now, obviously, the longer you want it to last, the less you're going to get per month. The shorter you want it to last, the more you're going to get per month. But that's the way to figure it out. All right. So so just figure out what your expenses are, what your income is, and that's how you know whether or not you have enough assets to retire. And then you can make that decision. But a good financial planner is what you want uh, to do that for you. And that's why it's so important, pre-retirement to go see a good certified financial planner. Time for a break. No phone calls today because we have a recorded show. My name's Lou Katigna. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, Certified Financial Planner, Personal Finance Author, President of AFM Investments, and host of The Financial Physician. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan, and discuss discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA, and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job, and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Market train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna a Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker, Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did.
1: Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732- 600-8721, or go to JerseyShoreSeptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable
0: rates. Here's Luz Katigna. Let's talk about the largest financial transaction of your life that you may have. And it's a sad thing. It's not a good thing. It's divorce. If you're getting divorced, you're about to enter the largest financial transaction of your life. And let's face it, I mean, uh, what, over 50% of people who get married get divorced? And now what I'm seeing, I'm seeing this a lot in my practice because I do a lot of financial planning for people going through a divorce. And we'll talk about the importance of that. But a lot of older people are getting divorced. Twice more than just 10, 15 years ago, we see people 55 and old getting divorced. Why that's happening, uh, we could kind of conjecture why, but but it's true. You know, you, know, you think you're going to get divorced. Usually people will get divorced relatively younger But no, once the kids leave, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, um, I'll just hang in there for the kids. And then when the kids, you know, are off to college or or get married, then you're out of there. Uh, And we're seeing a lot more of that. And of course, I'm going to throw men under the bus. Women get the short stick here. I mean, if there's a divorce going on, as a financial planner who deals a lot with this, I've done so much divorce the divorced uh, uh, planning uh, that I know this. The women always get the short end of the stick, especially older women, right? You know, older women, many of them haven't worked. They haven't been in the workforce. They don't have a whole lot of income. They haven't been really engaged in the family finances. And uh, and and they got a big problem. Oh, my wife says it's on now, so she's good. <laughs> we get a reporter from the field telling us what's going on with the with the um, with the app. Uh, so uh, uh, women like, it, and and it's statistical. You can go in it. First of all, men can afford better lawyers. The average divorce, a man's income goes down twenty percent. A woman's average income goes down forty one percent. And again, the older the woman is, the worse it is. Because older women, many of them stayed home. They were they were homemakers. Younger women now, they all work. Either because they want to or they have to. So they have their income. They have their careers. But older women, many of them haven't worked. They don't have a big work history. They can't go out and get a job unless it's minimum wage job somewhere. So it's very important, again, especially for women. Again, I'm throwing the men under the bus. Also, you got to understand, too, if a man's planning a divorce, he's planning it sometimes years in advance. And you know what he's doing? He's hiding assets in many cases. And it's very important that a woman, if you feel that your marriage is unstable, you got to start doing things. You got to start doing some very, very, very in, uh, covert investigations into the finances of the family. Many women, again, especially older women, don't understand the breakdown of the family assets. Either the the husband was secretive about it, or they just didn't engage. And it's very important. It's time now. If you don't wait too long. You know if your marriage is rocky. Divorces don't usually happen overnight. You don't usually come home one day and your you know your husband or your wife walks into the house and says, You know what, honey, we're getting divorced. If you have open eyes, you see it coming. And if you see it coming or there's a potential of it, you better start doing some investigations. First thing you want to do is start gathering information, statements from bank accounts, brokerage accounts, any other investments that you have. Back one, you know, you want to go back a couple of years if you can, on these statements to see, well, you know, we had hundred thousand dollars in this brokerage account two years ago. Why is it thirty thousand now? But where did that money go? So you want to collect as many statements as you can. You want to grab some tax returns, credit card statements, other loans that may be in the family. Make a list of retirement assets. What kind of retirement plan does my my spouse have at work? 401K. Do they have profit sharing? Do they have stock options? And like I said, you know, men especially, and I'm sure this happens with women too, I I just don't want to throw men under the bus, but the the vast majority of these are men. And and what they'll do is, they're not just going to say this morning, I I think I'm going to get divorced, so uh, let me go tell my wife when I get home from work, we're done. It doesn't happen that way. Trust me, I, I have experience in this. Not personal experience, I never got divorced, but I'm saying experience with clients who have dealt with this. And, again, men usually plan in advance, and they hide money. How do you hide money? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is gold coins. What if a couple of years ago, little by little, you know, the spouse was taking money out of a checking account or investment account and buying gold coins that are worth $2,000 each right now? It's not hard to hide $100,000, Very easy. Hundred thousand dollars could be could fit in the the, the pockets of your jacket. And I, and I hate to throw cold water on uh, 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 marriages and relationships, but this is really what happens. So you want to try to do as best you can with yourself with a financial planner who may have a better ability to do the for forensic accounting that's necessary to see where the money is and decide, you know, what you want out of this divorce. Now, in many states it's equitable distribution. But what is equ- equitable distribution? All assets are not equal. If the, if the family's net worth is say let's say uh, say a million dollars between the house, Investments, savings. You gotta be sh- you. You gotta make sure that the distribution of these assets are proper because all assets are not equal. Take take the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. Say you have a hundred thousand in both. You would rather have the Roth IRA because there's no taxes in accessing that money. With a traditional IRA, you'd have to pay taxes on it. So it's not 100000 each. It's 100000 hundred thousand and seventy thousand. and 70000 What about appreciated assets? I don't want that IBM stock that we bought 20 years ago that has a big capital gain in it. I want the savings account. What about retirement assets? There's something called a quadro, a qualified domestic relations order. Right, that's where, say, most of the assets of the family, and this is the case many times, uh, is in the 401k of the husband or wife. You get divorced. Part of that's yours. And a court orders a Quadro, Qualified Domestic Relations Order, which means that you get a certain percent of that. It becomes your IRA account. But just realize that that's a, re- that, that's a taxable asset. Another thing that's always a contentious issue, who gets the house? Well, you know, if the house has a mortgage on it, not necessarily a big deal. It's a, you know, it depends how much equity is in the house. What's it really worth if you sold it? That's the only real asset is the equity. But then you got to you you got to take into consideration the carrying cost. You know, many many spouses, or, or or in this case, women, want the family house. All their memories are there, and so forth. They want the house, but when they look at it afterwards, wait. Based on my income, I can't pay the bills here. So that may not be the best thing to have. So there's two big issues here when you get divorced from a financial perspective: asset distribution. How are we going to break up? The family's money. And then what's my income situation on the other side of divorce? What is my income sources going to be? Between, uh, um, do I work? Do I make money that way? Is there going to be alimony? And alimony is always a contentious issue in divorce um, negotiation. No spouse wants to be on the hook to have to pay fifty thousand a year in alimony. But if one spouse has m- more income than the other spouse, you're paying alimony, the higher income person. Now, it used to be alimony was a pretty—I mean, look, you'd rather have it than not have it—but from a tax perspective, up until a couple of years ago. If you received alimony from your spouse, that was taxable income to you. I have many, many women clients who are getting alimony that pay a ton of taxes on it. And it was tax deductible to the person paying it. That was a great thing. And look, again, it's never good to have to pay somebody because the tax savings is only a fraction of what you're paying. But the bottom line was the receiver of the alimony paid the tax on it and the giver of the alimony deducted it. Now, a couple of years ago, there was a change in the tax code. There's no tax consequences to anybody. So if you get divorced now, alimony is tax-free. If you get divorced now, it's not tax-deductible if you pay it. So that's a big difference, isn't it? Sure it is. Now, what if you're getting, getting divorced And your spouse is paying you alimony, well, what protection do you have that if that spouse passes away or loses their job or anything, that that can't stop? I know many, many cases where uh, somebody was getting alimony from their spouse and their spouse lost their job, go back to court and say, you know what? The judge says you don't have to pay it anymore because you don't have the income. So now because my ex-spouse lost their job, I lost my income. Always a concern. What happens if your spouse dies? You got to look at that contingency. Should you get a life insurance policy on your spouse? Yes. We advise that all the time. That way, if your spouse dies, at least you get a half a million dollars and, you you know, you're not going to be destitute because your income stopped. This is especially true of younger people getting divorced. And uh, unfortunately, too many people don't think about that when they get divorced. Oh, I'm getting alimony. I'll be OK. But I got the house. Da, 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 da. Well, you know, your husband could die tomorrow. If you're going through a divorce as a younger couple with children, now we talk, i got to talk child custody. That's always the big issue with, with younger families. What's the custody situation? Who's going to see the child when? Who's going to support the child? How much are we going to break up support? How much child support is going to be paid? What about child care costs? What if the spouse has to go back to work or or go to work for the first time because they were always home taking care of the children, and now they have to to get by, well, who's going to pay for child care? These are irrevocable decisions that you're making, and that's why it's so important to get both legal advice— and financial advice. Many, ma- many, many people go and get a lawyer and they deal with it that way, but they don't talk to a financial planner about what their life's going to be maybe for the next 30, 40, or 50 years. You have to sit down with a financial planner, a competent, certified financial planner who understands the issues of divorce. Because your short term and long term goals are going to dramatically change. And you have to totally re-examine your financial future if you're going through a divorce because it's totally different than you thought it would be. How is your tax situation going to change? And the problem is, is we're going through, when you're going through a divorce, uh, not only is there legal and financial issues that you have to deal with, but there's the emotional components of divorce as well. And you, you may make bad decisions because you're not mentally or emotionally prepared to do so. And when I sit down with someone going through a divorce, we look at everything for today and tomorrow. And like I said, there's two separate issues. The first issue is asset distribution. And you have to take into consideration also with asset distribution. Not only do you have to worry about, you know, what's the tax situation or whatever I'm going to get, but also, you know, you, you, you got to look at um, what assets were uh, not marital assets. And not all assets in a marriage are marital assets. Let's say you inherited money from your parents. Your parents died. That's not a marital asset. Unless, and this is where people make mistakes, unless you take that money and put it in a joint account with your spouse. Now it becomes a marital asset. And I advise people most of the time, unless their marriage is so solid that I have no worries about it, that if you inherit money, that you keep it in your name alone. That way it remains non-marital asset. Now, typically, you know, one thing about family court judges is they tend to throw the law out a lot, and they just look at what's fair. Oh, you got all this money, you inherited it from your mother, You know, maybe she should get the house, or maybe you should pay more alimony. And that happens all the time. But, but you should do everything you can uh, uh, to keep your assets separate like that. Or if you came into a marriage with assets, and you have a later marriage in your life, we'll talk about that in a second. Those assets aren't marital assets. And you have to be aware of that as you're going through a divorce. So the best thing you could possibly do, if possible, is to pull together all of your information about the family finances before you either ask for a divorce or you go through a divorce. And again, as I said, you know it's coming or you know it's possible. Divorces just don't happen overnight. So what should you gather together? Stock bond mutual fund assets, real estate holdings, mortgage balances, income tax returns, auto loans, checking and savings account statements, credit card statements, retirement account statements. Now, what happens if your spouse owns a business? There's value in that business. That business can be sold. It's worth something. How do you evaluate the value of the business? You got to bring in somebody that knows how to do that. Um, how about uh, uh let's let's look at monthly expenses. What's my life going to be like? Can I carry this house? Do I want this house? I don't want this house. How much income am I going to get from my own earnings, from Social Security, from uh, whatever I get from the assets? Am I going to be able to generate income from that? And that's what we do as as certified financial planners. We say, okay, let's look at the family assets. You're going to wind up with half a million dollars, right? If we invest that and you get four percent return, you know, you're going to get uh, um, twenty grand a year income from that. Plus, you'll get you know Social Security, or you'll get you know your own your own salary or alimony What about health insurance? You may be thrown off your husband's plan. You don't want, you're not married to him anymore. That's a big one. Who's going to pay for your health insurance? Are you going to have the money to do it? Another thing, what if you had a prenuptial agreement? You see all the things that go into divorce, it's not it's a very complicated issue. So what are the, what are the steps in the, what I call divorced financial planning? The first one and most important is gather the information, the financial information of the of the family. And you got to be very critical, you got to be very forensic. You got to go back a number of years to see if there's any kind of hanky-panky going on. With the hiding of assets. Now, you're supposed to give full disclosure regarding all marital assets and liabilities when you go through a divorce. Or if it comes out that you've been hiding something or you weren't being factual, you you weren't being honest, judges don't like that. And you'll pay the price for it because the settlement you're going to get, you're not going to like. You're going to pay more alimony. You're going to give more of your retirement plan away. Now, again, in most states, it's a 50-50 distribution. But as I said earlier, all assets aren't equal. So you've got to make sure after taxes, what's the, what, are you getting a, a fair distribution? You have to think about You know, as I said before, what happens if uh, uh, my spouse, my divorced spouse, uh, loses their job, retires? How will that affect my income if I'm getting alimony or child support? Have I protected myself with life insurance? Now, you can't just buy a life insurance policy on anybody. I can't just buy a life insurance policy on Jim here. Um, just because I'm betting he's going to die because he's a crazy man out there. Uh, <laughs> he's laughing. Uh, you know, and you know, young people, they, they tend to get crazy. So, you know, maybe I'm, I'm going to make a bet. Uh, I'm going to buy a $100,000 life insurance policy on Jim, and uh, he better not allow me to uh, work on his breaks um, because uh, I'm betting on his death. I don't have an insurable interest there. I can't do that. It's illegal. I can't buy a life insurance policy on somebody unless I have what's called an insurable interest, which means that I could be harmed by their death. Now, if Jim here dies, uh, he won't be here next Sunday to run the show, but he could be replaced. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't know the first thing to do, so uh, I'm out of luck here. Uh, But Jim could be replaced in that regard. So I don't have an insurable interest. But if my spouse pay paying me fifty thousand a year alimony and, and, and twenty thousand a year child support. Boy, I have an insurable interest in his life, and I have a right to buy a life insurance policy on him to protect that. Another thing you got to be consider you got to consider when you get divorced is estate planning. You got to make sure your wills, if you have trust or or or, or, or you have uh, accounts held jointly, that all these things are changed, that you change the beneficiaries of your estate. I can't tell you how many times I'll come across a divorced person who's been divorced for a year or two and their IRA still has their ex-husband as their beneficiary because they never thought to change it or their 401k or whatever. What about powers of attorney? You certainly don't want your ex to have a power of attorney on your finances. Or the medical power of attorney to decide whether you live or die. If I'm paying paying my wife 50,000 a year in alimony and she's in a hospital and I can make the decision whether she dies or lives, would I make the right decision? Very important to do that. We see people drop the ball all the time on that. And what about executive compensation? Say say your your husband works for a big company and he's he's in management. What about stock options? That's an asset. Even though they're not executed right now, that's an asset. What are they worth? Are they in the money? If they he exercised them now, what are they worth? Can't forget that. There's so many things that go into 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 divorce planning. So many things. And unfortunately, like I said before, um, uh, the woman gets the short end of the stick here unless she does really good planning. And unfortunately, too many uh, people do not engage a certified financial planner slash accountant to be involved in the process. And in my practice now, I'm seeing more and more divorce planning, uh, again, with older people. I'm seeing divorces at 60 years old. It's incredible. Really incredible. So divorce, never a pleasant thing in anybody's life. Uh, If you're going through it, it's important that you get the right legal representation, the right financial planning representation. Because the lawyer isn't going to think of all the financial issues. Lawyers contact me all the time to evaluate the financial situation, right? So, you, you know, the financial planner is so important, just as important as your lawyer to guide you through the process. And if you're going through a divorce, one of the first calls you should make, not only first to the lawyer, second to a good financial planner that will work with you, A, to uncover the assets. You know, a, a good financial planner or accountant could look at the last three years' tax returns and pretty not much know a lot about you. Tax return says a lot. Is there dividends coming from IBM stock or from this mutual fund? How much income obviously does my my spouse make? I make. Lots of information in tax returns, but also you want to know the debt of the family. Very very important. All right, time for a break. On the other side of the break, I'm going to talk about people who are going into second marriages. We're seeing a lot of uh, older people who are getting remarried or shacking up, (laughs) as they say, uh, at 60, 65, 70 years old. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of doing that on the other side of the break. My name's Lou Scatigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 W.O.B.M. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, Certified Financial Planner, Personal Finance Author, President of AFM Investments, and host of The Financial Position. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan, and discuss. discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA, and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, market can- you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker, Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did.
1: Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732- 600-8721, or go to JerseyShoreSeptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates
0: here's Luce katigna all right Luce katigna here certified financial planner and your money doctor each and every sunday right here on 92.7 wobm thank you so much for those of you who do get up locally and listen to the program it's it's amazing how many people told me that yeah i get up or i'm laying in bed listening to you uh, I know this kind of heavy stuff for early in the morning with your first cup of coffee, but thanks so much for joining us. But no need to get up early. We love live, you know, people listening to us live. The podcast is available. As soon as the show's over, Jim is uploading it, and it's available at com. And the number of downloads of the podcast have skyrocketed. Uh, as those of you who listened, uh, if you're listening to me for the first time or you're new to the program, I'm not new to the station. I've been here 21 years. I've been on the AM side. I've been on WOBM AM and and recently 104.1 when it was Beach Radio uh, for 21 years on Sundays. So we've been around for a while. This is not a new program. And uh, many of you are stumbling on the program. Two hours each and every week we talk money, we talk markets, we talk politics, and anything that affects your life. And it's important that you listen because we talk about stuff on this program that you're not going to hear on the mainstream media. And you're not going to hear on most other radio shows. And it's very, very easy to access the program on the podcast. Just go to thefinancialphysician.com. Thefinancialphysician.com is the website of the show. And on it, we have the podcast of this program and past programs. We have my blog. We have videos. Uh, We we videotape the show. And I put put snippets of the program, usually the opening monologue, uh, uh, on YouTube. We have our YouTube channel. Join us there, Lou Scatigna. Just, you know, search for me uh, and uh, and subscribe. We also have a Facebook page, uh, Lou Skatigna. Look me up. Be a friend. I'm still new to this social media thing. I, I'm still trying to learn it. Uh, I'm almost 62. I, I, you know, I still don't have to ask people, you know, how do you do this? Snapchat. What is Snapchat? Instagram. Changes every day. It doesn't it? change, yeah. It's I mean, it's wild. It's, uh... I mean, I like it, I guess. I mean, you stay informed. You know, you see kids. I see my friends from high school, what's going on with them. And I guess it has some positive aspects. But on the financial position, uh, on um, uh, uh, my uh, Facebook page, Lewis Kategna, Louis Kategna, I don't even know what it is. Uh, look it up, become a friend, and we put uh, the videos of this program up. We put the link to the podcast. If you go to the podcast, just go to com. click on the radio tab up top, and scroll down. You'll see the most recent show, and it brings you over to Podomatic. Now, you guys have made this show the number one financial podcast on Podomatic. I mean, that, that's saying something because there's hundreds and hundreds. Uh, there's 100,000 podcasts on Podomatic, And uh, I don't know how many uh, financial ones there are. There's plenty of them. And you guys have made us number one. And we've been number one for a long time. Uh, And that's as far as downloads go and people returning and listening and everything else. So this entire two-hour program is available on the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Now, also, when you go to the website, uh, you have the opportunity to get a free copy of my book. I wrote this book in 2010. It's still pertinent today. It's called The Financial Physician. How to Cure Your Money Problems and Boost Your Financial Health. It's a great book for, I wrote it especially for younger people who make mistakes early in life and screw up their financial life for the rest of their their lives. Uh, How to buy a car properly, how to buy a a house properly, uh, the problems that we see with financial literacy and people just uh, uh, doing stupid things that ruin their lives, uh, not doing proper retirement planning, not doing proper tax planning. And it's very basic. It is not a complicated book. It's easy to read, and it's available to you free of charge on a PDF format. Uh, All you got to do is give us your email. You give us your email. We're going to notify you when we update the the podcast, when we put up a YouTube video. Uh, Maybe I'll send you an article during the week uh, that I think you should know about. We're going to start doing midweek updates uh, of what's going on in financial markets. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff. So for you to know about it, you got to be on our our special list. You got to be a financial physician Insider. We're not going to market anything to you. We're not going to bug you in any way, shape, or form. We're just going to notify you when we do something here uh, on The Financial Physician. Love your phone calls here, 732-237-9626 if you want to be part of the program. Now, in the first half hour of the show, we were talking about divorce. We were talking about financial planning during divorce and how especially women get the short end of the stick. They don't do it right and how important it is to engage not only a legal representative, a lawyer, but a financial planner, and to make sure that your financial situation, first you know what it is, you know what it's going to be, and things that a financial planner will advise. And a lot of times a financial planner will work with the attorney and providing the attorney with income needs, with a list of uh, the net worth of the family, and uh, sometimes that will even be put into evidence in a court proceeding. So just realize, what well, you know what attorneys do and what they don't do. And most attorneys say, "I'm I'm I'm good in court, but you know I I need the, the assistance of an accountant or a financial planner to to help me make the argument for my client." Now, um, many people who get divorced or or, or lose their spouse uh, don't want to be alone. They wanna they want to get married again. They want a companion. So, what are the pros and cons against uh, about getting married again? Well, late life marriages. Uh, are very complicated and many more people, as I said, and older people are getting divorced more, double the amount in just you know, 10, 15 years ago are getting divorced later in life. I'd like to know the reason why. I haven't read why. I haven't researched it. Jim said during the break, he said, uh, well, COVID, P- people are home with their spouse and they know they can't live with them uh, when they're home 24-7. I'm sure that 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 increased uh, the divorce rate, sure. Um uh, But according to Pew Research, 53% of Americans, 55 and older, are remarried. Uh, That's pretty interesting. And now that you have same-sex marriage, which is legal nationwide, greater numbers of uh, gay people are getting married or seriously considering it when they've been single most of their adult lives. So uh, should you run down the aisle and get married? I think you need to walk and think these things through first. And there's a number of issues for, for namely older Americans who are getting remarried. And many of them are deciding not to get married at all. Jim and I were talking in the break. He said, you know, if I got divorced, I would never get married again. And no way. No way? Yeah, just, I just not, I wouldn't even think you're about a young, it. But you're a young guy. I mean, you know, what if you got divorced at 35 or 40? You're not going to ever get married again at 40 years old? I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be the happiest 35 year old in my life. <laughs> well, then don't get married in the first place. You're single right now. Why would you get married? Uh, if that's the way you feel, uh, why would you even get married the first time? Um, I hope to fall in love one day, Lou. All right. So, all right. So, if you fall in love and then you fall out of love and you get divorced, can't you fall in love again? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Well a lot of seniors now are, are are opting to forego marriage and is shacking up I like I like that term shacking up you remember uh, if you're old enough to understand that term shacking up is when you know usually younger people would just live together uh, but why why are seniors uh, uh, or people older in life deciding not to get married and just to, to live together? look we all want companionship. Uh, most people don't like to be alone. Like, Jim and I would talk, and I said, you know, uh, I'm never alone. My wife's always home most of the time. She doesn't work, and we're always together when I'm home, and I love her dearly. But when she's not home, it's nice to be alone. But it's nice to be alone for a short amount of time. Most people don't want to be alone every day, 24-7, and those of you who are will testify to that, That is not a great existence. Now, but you know y you, you could live under the same roof and not be married, and maybe you just don't want to be legally attached to somebody. You could still share a life with someone but doesn't require a legal document to do so and For many seniors, just the companionship of being with somebody else is enough but why are some other reasons? What about um a person may have a deceased spouse who left them with a pension or Social Security benefits. And by getting married again, it might affect the amount or uh, of the survivor benefits that they get. Or what if you're divorced and you're getting alimony? Well, many provisions in the in in divorce decree is that if you get remarried, the alimony stops. So why would you get married then? You just live with somebody and still collect your alimony. Another big issue is is your, your children's and grandchildren's inheritance. Many seniors don't get remarried because they want to protect their assets, which they want to pass on to their children and their grandchildren after death. Now, there's legal protections you could put in when you get married through a prenuptial agreement and uh, uh, beneficiaries and wills and things like that. But seniors, for the most part, are pretty frugal and and really would like to avoid the cost of an attorney to change wills and trust and do a prenuptial agreement. And it's not uncommon for for seniors, older people, uh, not to remarry because of the wishes of their adult children. Uh, Many adult children are very concerned that their elderly parent is dating. And uh, they're concerned that they're going to be taken advantage of or their inheritance is going to be encumbered in some way. And uh, many people, not to upset their adult children, so you decide not to get married. So they decide to go with friends with benefits, (laughs) which is a younger term, a younger person term. Uh, Friends with benefits. Uh, The seniors, uh, friends with benefits. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And also, you know, the seniors are also concerned, well, what, what if I marry this person and I have to go through a divorce again? It's extremely costly. Anybody who's gone through a divorce that's not amicable, that's not go that, that doesn't go through mediation. And by the way, when you go through a divorce, the best thing is for it to be amicable and no lawyers involved. Look, if you just say, "Hey, look, honey, look, we're getting divorced. We got a million dollars." You get 500000 I get $500,000. let us work it out between us. How we are going to split these assets? Uh, we both have the same amount of income. There's no children involved. You could do that. You don't even need a lawyer. Now, I'm not telling you not to get a lawyer because, like I said before, early in the program, these things can be complicated. Especially for a spouse who's not financially savvy or hasn't been involved in the finances. Uh, you need representation. Financial planner. And, and and legal. But if we're older and, you know, you know, we have the idea of what's going on in the family and the finances and everything, um, uh, we could do it cheaply. But a lot of people don't want to get married because they're afraid that uh, if they have a failed marriage, the cost will be enormous. Another thing, too, is that after you've been divorced in the past, you may have trust issues with people. You've had bad experiences with marriage. You may be hesitant to do it again. I don't blame you. Like I said, I would I, I, would never get married again. Maybe you don't want the confines of marriage. Maybe you say, hey, look, we'll live together, and, you know, if I'm not happy after a while, I'm gone. Another issue you have to worry about is health care concerns. What if one of, uh, one of you were on Medicaid, and you'd be kicked off Medicaid if you decided to get married because now it's a combination of assets and income? Uh, that extra income of being married could disqualify a lot of things that are going on in your life. Maybe you have a great credit rating, and you don't want to commingle finances with somebody that doesn't have a good credit rating. What if you don't want to be responsible for a spouse's medical expenses? It's no secret that as we age, our medical expenses increase, and quite significantly especially if we have a catastrophic or long-term care nursing home situation. Are you going to be responsible? Are your assets going to be employed? Say say you're married to somebody a couple of years. That person starts getting Alzheimer's, needs to go into a nursing home. Now your assets are at risk. And that's a big thing. If you're a senior, why would you get married to somebody where you may be responsible for their nursing home or their long-term care costs? You got to think of all these things. And again, companionship is companionship. You don't need a legal document to do that. How about, you know, again, if you get an alimony, you don't want to get remarried, you lose that. How about if you're you're young enough that you have children that are going to college and financial aid is predicated on income and you have low income, but if you get married, your joint income is high. So these are reasons why you don't necessarily want to get remarried as a senior. So we're talking relationship issues, we're talking divorce. It's uh, uh it's unpleasant. It is a reality. We 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 can't we can't, you know, just bury it. Over 50% of marriages end in divorce. Money money aspects are the number one reason. And it's very very important if you're going through it, you understand. Uh, the need for proper financial advice. All right, top of the hour. My name is Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing.
1: Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna.
0: The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio.
1: It's also my pleasure to see to it the decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates.
0: This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me your source for straightforward, no nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. All right, Welcome back. If you missed any of the show, just go to com where we have the podcast of this program. Paul will have it up right after the show is over. Today's a very special pre-recorded show, the best of the financial physician in 2022. We have great topics ahead of you uh, today. This is the best topics, financial topics we talked about over the course of the year. All right, let's get started with our program. Let's start talking about, we got lots to talk about today. I mean, my desk is full. It always is, but Today, it's ridiculous how how much stuff I have in front of me, and I know we won't get to it. But let's start off today talking about financial psychology. And, you know, in my practice, I've been doing it for almost 40 years, nothing makes people crazier than money. Not love, politics, religion, nothing makes people more nuts than money. Trust me on this one. Absolutely true. The smartest, most level-headed people that you'll ever meet can totally become totally irrational when money is involved. And uh, financial psychology drives the way we deal with money, how we invest, how we handle our investments, how we sleep at night. And it's important to understand our financial psychology so we understand what the positives and the negatives we have in our psychology that affects our money. So in my book, The Financial Physician, How to Cure Your Money Problems and Boost Your Financial Health, available free of charge on my website. Just go to thefinancialphysician.com. A beautiful PDF comes down. It's really, really nice. It's really, really formatted really, really well. Available free of charge. Just give us your email. Get on our email list. Then you can download the PDF of the book. And Chapter 5 of my book, I dedicated to understanding your financial psychology. And I think this is one of the most important chapters in the book. Because, again, our mind drives everything, our feelings. Now, most people fall into one or two financial psychologies, all right? And I call it attitudes, financial attitude. Do you have an attitude of lack or do you have an attitude of abundance? It's one or the other. And frankly, it has nothing to do with how much money you have. What's the difference? Well, an attitude of abundance, you will you believe that you'll always have what you need to support your family, to support yourself, that uh, the world is full of opportunities, God will take care of me, and I don't have to worry about anything. That's a great attitude to have. Uh, I mean, as long as it's true that you will be okay and you're not diluting yourself. And uh It's a less stressful attitude. These people rarely complain about their finances. They live comfortable lives. They're generous. And they seem to to, to feel that everything's going to be fine, and they'll get what they need. Now, the other side of that, which I think is the majority of us, we have an attitude of lack. We believe that we may not be able to get everything we need to survive. We're always concerned we we just won't have enough. We're concerned about running out of money. These kind of people tend to be very uh, frugal, uh, tightwads, if you will, compulsive savers. They don't invest because they're always worried that they may lose some money. Now, most of us who have that attitude of lack grew up in difficult financial conditions. That's where our impression uh, was formed, was when we were young. If you grow up in a family that struggled, uh, then later on in life, you're going to still have that same feelings of lack, no matter how much money you have. And I'm a prime example of that. I don't come from money. I was the oldest of six kids. My dad was a, a union printer in New York. My mother was a waitress. And we didn't have two nickels to rub together, trust me. My parents did the best they could. We always had food on the table. But they struggled. In the mid-70s, those was old enough to remember that. We went through a bad recession. Um, and uh, my dad was out of work for three years. We were on welfare, got free lunches at school. Thankfully, we did get by. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. I remember going to the food store with my dad, doing the weekly grocery shopping, and him using credit cards to pay for it. So these things are indelible in my mind. And I'd say the the biggest thing that always stayed on my mind was getting a free lunch in high school. The stigma of it. I would go without eating lunch many days because I didn't want to have anybody see me take that little ticket that they gave you to pay for uh, for your lunch. To me, it was totally embarrassing. And I would go without food. That's how how I felt about it. Talk about getting an attitude of lack ingrained in your brain, right? On one hand, it was very motivating for me. I promised myself that my children would never get a free lunch in school, no matter what I had to do. And it motivated me to go to college and motivated me to, to be successful. And maybe that was a good thing. But the attitude of lack never really went away. Early on, when I started to get successful, I started bringing up a family. I still had the attitude of lack. I was afraid to spend money. I was somewhat cheap. When really, in in, in reality, I didn't have to be. And it took a long time for me to overcome that attitude of lack. And I since have done that. Now, the one thing you've got to realize about an attitude of abundance or an attitude of lack, it has nothing to do with how much money you have. Surprisingly, right? You would think people with a lot of money would feel an attitude of abundance. No, because it's a psychological thing. It's rational to say, okay, I you know put away a million bucks. Uh, I'm in good shape. I don't have to worry about money. That's rational. But again, people are irrational when it comes to money. I have a client with... She's 80-something years old, in the high 80s, has, I don't know, close to $2 million with me. I don't know what the exact number is. But every three or four months, I have to walk her off the ledge. She has to come in, and I have to hold her hand because she believes and worries that she will be destitute. Could you imagine that? She doesn't hardly spend any money, almost $2 million, and she, she can't sleep at night. Boy, that's an attitude of lack isn't it it has nothing to do with how much money you have and the same is true of an attitude of abundance. I have clients that have less than 100 grand with me they never worry about money. first one to pick up the check uh, give a charity all the time and again it doesn't correlate to how much we have their financial states of mind. Think about it yourself. Do you have an attitude of lack? Or do you have an attitude of abundance? It drives everything in your life. And it's um, those who uh, have the attitude of abundance tend to invest rather than save. Those with an attitude of lack tend to save instead of invest because you can't take any risk of losing anything, you see? People with attitude of abundance, they're not looking for guaranteed or safe investments, they're more prone to take risks because even if they do and if they go backwards a little bit, so what? They'll come back. And if you have an attitude of abundance, you usually live a better and, and a lifestyle and a more fulfilled life. You're not afraid to spend money on uh, things that make life good. You don't waste much time worrying about the, the stock market or your mortgage or, or money in general. And uh, people with an attitude of lack, they equate money with security. And that's another psychological. Money is not security. It's not. Now, look, I would rather have it than not and feel financially secure, but it really isn't. And money is nothing until it's spent. Think about it. It's just potentiality money. So if you have, and I use this example all the time, and in my practice, I tell you, the hardest thing I, 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 I have to do with my clients, especially my older clients, is let them understand that the money they have accumulated over their lives is for their retirement and should be spent. Not just the interest it earns, not just the growth of it, all of it. But psychologically, it's tough for people to say, hey, uh, my whole life I've been building net worth. I've been saving. I've been growing my money. Now to go the other way is problematic psychologically to most people. If I've accumulated a million dollars, I don't want to go below a million dollars. If I go to 980, I want to jump off the roof. And you feel like you're in a tailspin. Oh, no, what if I run out of money? I like to do an exercise with people. A lot of what I do as a financial planner is not money management. That's the easy part. What I do is, is is financial therapy, is to deal with people's heads and try to get them to understand what money is what it isn't. So when I when people come to me and say, Lou, I'm really concerned. I'm going to run out of money. I say, well, all right, well, look, you're taking out $20,000 a year. That's what you're living off of. You have 400000 in an investment portfolio. Let's assume that you're never going to earn anything on that four hundred thousand. You're going to get a zero rate of return, and it's going to be in a shoebox under your bed. Four hundred thousand, a pretty big shoebox, I guess. And every year you're going to take out twenty grand. How long will that money last? Well, four hundred thousand divided by twenty thousand. Twenty years. And if you're 72 years old, 20 years is going to make you 92. And you're not going to get a zero return on your money. So therefore, it'll last longer than you will. So I like to do that that, that experiment, not experiment, that, that um, exercise uh, with uh, clients and potential clients to make them know that they're going to be okay and to stop worrying about money. But the problem we have is that uh, people don't want to spend the money that they've accumulated. So your whole life you're saving money, and if somebody asked you, what are you socking money in your 401k for? What's the answer? Retirement, right? So why won't you use it in retirement? Do you see how irrational that is? Now, once you hit retirement, there's three paths you can take with your money. Assuming you've accumulated some, we'll talk about how many older Americans are in real big trouble right now. But assuming you accumulated an estate, right, and the big day comes, you finally retire, you have three paths you can take. The first path, and, and it's one that minority of people take, is they don't want to touch the money. They just want it to continue to grow because they like to count their shekels and, you know, I my net worth has gone up every year. I want it to continue to do that. That's silly. It's irrational. It's not what the money is there for. But the majority of people come to me and say, Lou, here's my $500,000 nest egg. Just give me what it could earn over time. And I'd like my 500000 to be worth $500,000 5 years from now. And I'll answer them, why? And it's hard for them to answer me because it makes them feel good. I don't want to go into the principal. That'll make me crazy. I'll start worrying that I'm going to run out of money. But again, the money was saved for retirement, and I I use an analogy in the book. I say think of it the squirrel. The squirrel accumulates their acorns. All fall right, and they put them in their nest. Let's 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 call it their nest egg. How about that? Right, just like we do. Our whole lives we accumulate money in our 401Ks, our IRAs, our savings, or whatever. But when the time comes, the squirrel eats the acorns in the winter. All of them. But we don't want to eat our acorns. We don't want to use our nest egg. The key here, though, is to just figure out easy computation that a financial planner or accountant can make. Take an assumed rate of return, a diversified portfolio, and some people say to me, Lou, uh, I want you to plan for 22 years. I'm 70 now, 92. I don't expect to be here. If I am, I'll deal with it then. Uh, But I'd like to go to zero in my money then. How much could I take out a month with an assumed rate of return that'll last 22 years? We can make that calculation. Now, it's not going to be exact because the assumed rate of return may be higher or lower and has to be adjusted. But some clients come to me and say, you know, Lou, if the day the last one of us die, me and my wife, there's a nickel left in our account, we did it right. I don't care about inheritance for my kids. My kids are making more money than I ever did at this stage in my life. They don't need my money. Now, if you, uh, if inheritance is really important to you, for many people it is, for different reasons, and I ascertain that early in a first appointment with clients. How important is inheritance to you? That's exactly the way I ask the question. And I'm very curious to hear the answer. Sometimes, well, I like to leave my kids something. But I'm not going to harm myself to do that. You know, I'm going to live my life and whatever's left is left and they'll get it. Other people say, oh, Lou, uh, I want the majority of this money to go to my kids. They're struggling. This is going to make a difference. This is their retirement plan. As I mentioned in the past, for many baby boomers now retiring, especially those retiring with debt, their retirement plan is inheritance from their parents, who don't spend their retirement money. And I always tell my clients, is this money for your retirement or your kid's retirement? You worked your whole lives to save for your kid's retirement? That doesn't sound right. But for many many, uh, parents, that's the way they look at it. Or maybe you have a special needs child that you have to have money set aside for. Okay, I get it. I understand that. Then we got to think a little differently in how we spend our money. So again, psychology drives a lot of this stuff. And a lot of the, the, um, the groundwork for the attitudes that we have about money uh, happens in childhood. We're strongly influenced by our parents' attitude about money. Were they always worried? And early in my career, I found that uh, depression-era children that were still alive, I mean, I've been in this business 40 years, so they they were alive at that time, Uh, and they, they have different attitudes about money than other people do. They've lived through very, very difficult times. So let's talk about the subsets, all right? And, and I've saw, I, I, I've personally had consultations with, I, I've lost count, but probably a couple of thousand people over the course of my career. So people fall into certain categories. First, it's the, um, the the state of mind they have, attitude of lack, attitude of abundance. I could tell that right within five minutes of talking with clients, where they come coming at. It's very, very easy especially when you've been doing as long as I have. I can tell very, very quickly the attitude. And sometimes the husband's attitude may be different than the, than the wife's attitude. That's a real big problem. The wife has an attitude of abundance and wants to spend like crazy, and the husband uh, has an attitude of lack and uh, wants to, to squirrel his money away. Uh, that's that's, a, that, that's a, a marriage that may not last. But a lot of times, I could I could disdain that 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 one one spouse feels a certain way about money, and the other spouse doesn't. Sometimes one spouse is very conservative, the other spouse is very aggressive. But our psychology, uh, when it comes to money, affects how we invest. Let's talk about the five, the, the five uh, most common profiles, if you will, psychological profiles. See where you fit. Uh, the first person we see is the high roller. He thinks that everything in life is a gamble. He wants big returns in the stock market. He's willing to to use high-risk strategies, always looking to hit the jackpot. A gambler, the high roller. Not only does he gamble in casinos, he gambles with his investments. This kind of person um, gets bored with conservative long-term investments. And would rather speculate on commodities and individual stocks and real estate. That's what turns that person on. And they may have tremendous success if they're lucky. I mean, gamblers have to get lucky, right? And some of them do. But many of them, many of them lack diversification and, and wind up failing. The second profile, and this is a really dangerous run, is the abdicator. This person has little or no interest in managing money. And frequently, it's women, older women who know nothing about investments. And it also includes men, too, at times. I don't want to be sexist on this, but I'm talking about older families, you know, in their 70s and 80s. It was usually the husband that handled all the money, the investments and everything else. Never, never trained their wife in money management. Uh, And then he passes away, and now she's left alone to manage her money, to invest money, what have you. And she's a victim. She's easily taken advantage of. So the abdicator prefers someone else to manage their money and will usually do anything that financial advisors suggest. They're very trusting because they don't know anything. So this person knows more than I do, so I better take their advice. They're surprised when they lose money. They couldn't believe it. And like I said, they're they're frequently taken advantage of uh, by unscrupulous characters. Oh, by the way, in the financial services industries, there are many unscrupulous characters, trust me, that are only in it for one reason. Not to help you manage your money, but to take your money uh, and invest it where they get a big commission. And then you're dead to them. So an abdicator is probably one of the more dangerous profiles that we see. And usually older widowed women uh, are the abdicator. The next one is another dangerous one, and that's the credit junkie. This person's addicted to acquiring things rather than building their wealth. And they're usually in denial about their addictive spending. They tend to carry big credit card balances. They're always driving nice cars with large loans on them, by the way. And since much of their income goes into debt payments, they have little savings or net worth. And they wonder why it's so hard to get ahead why they sabotage themselves through needless compulsive spending. I had a client who uh, was addicted to QVC. The person late at night just would go on buying bitches and sometimes wouldn't sleep till 4 or 5 in the morning. I mean, this is obviously a compulsive psychological problem that this person would have. And with that went tremendous credit card balances. You don't want to be a credit junkie, but most Americans, that's exactly what they are. They always have car payments. They buy more house than they could afford. They have credit cards, student loans, and much of their income goes to debt service as opposed to going to savings and investing. A lot of people, what's the trick of of accumulating a million dollars for retirement? Spend less than you make. Wow, that's a novel uh, approach. Save. Don't spend every dime you have on car payments and home payments and credit card payments. The next profile, which is the best profile, is the money master. This is like a fitness freak who who spends uh, all of their time in the gym. This person is obsessed with money management. They're usually well-educated in all money-related matters. They tend to avoid other people's advice, and they take full control of their own investments. They're very good at employing risk controls, so they never get terribly hurt. But they're not fearful of investing money in a diversified investment portfolio. They're not afraid at all. The money master usually reaches his or her financial goals. But also enjoys his money success and that's the key to being a money master is enjoying the money that you've worked so hard to accumulate and the money master lives an abundant but balanced lifestyle and is very happy and tends to have the attitude of abundance because they do have abundance very few people are money masters I don't see many of them because they wouldn't come to me They're a money master. They don't want to take other people's advice. But I've seen that type many times. And we don't really work very well together because they know better than me. Now, lastly, and this one's kind of dangerous, too, but in a different kind of way, and that's the squirrel. Many people are squirrels. Uh, They are savers who are as conservative as they come. They don't overspend. They live frugally. Squirrels usually have an, a- an attitude of lack because they fear they're never going to have enough money. Usually almost all their money is in banks or treasury bills where there's no risk. And they're willing to get low returns because they find the stock market way too risky. And they're definitely afraid of losses. But this is the key, because they get such low rates of return, especially in the last 10 or 12 years where we've had zero interest rates, they have trouble keeping pace with inflation. (laughs) Now, in the book, I use an example of a squirrel, and I'll never forget these people. They came to me to review their financial situation. And uh, they were both 67 years old, they had no children or close relatives. So the husband was a mechanic. He earned about 45000 a year, and the wife worked in a factory earning about 28000 a year. So they weren't earning tons of money, but they worked. They owned, uh, and that has happened 15, 20 years ago, so you have to go back in time a little bit, they, and I'll never forget them. They owned a $120,000 home, and they kept the thermostat at 65 degrees to save money. They only had one car. It was an eight-year-old Honda. So the wife walked about a mile to and from work each day. And three years prior to me seeing these people, the husband had a triple bypass surgery. So he wasn't the healthiest guy in the world. So in looking under the hood of their savings, they've accumulated $3.5 million. That's 20 years ago in savings and investments. How did they do that on very low income? They squirreled all of it away and lived like they were poor. And when I asked them, why do you continue to work when you have so much money? And they said that they were afraid they had not saved enough to retire. Boy, that's an attitude of lack. That's an example of an attitude of lack, isn't it? And I remember uh, the husband had... His clothes looked like he was a bum. He had a belt on that must have been 40 years old. It was bleached. It was frayed. It was, this guy's a multimillionaire. So I, I drew them a picture, and I'll never forget this analogy I gave them, and it's in my book. I asked them to imagine that they lived on a large, beautiful lake, and each morning they'd go down to the lake. They'd fill their glasses with water from the lake. It was clean water. And uh, they would drink the water, and they knew that they needed water to live. But after they drank their water, they would go to the garage, get an eight-foot pole, hang a basket on each end, put the pole across the husband's shoulders, and for the next four hours, they would climb a mountain to a well where they'd fill up the buckets. Then they would hike down the mountain with the heavy buckets on his shoulder, which took another three hours. At the bottom, they would take the buckets and they'd pour the water into the lake, even though the lake contained more water than they could ever drink. And <laughs> the wife looked at me like, you know, her, her eyes were open finally. So when I was finished with this little analogy, she, she said, I never fully understood my attitude about money until right now, she said. Uh, and she said that uh, after that analogy, uh, she would consider retiring and taking it easy. Two years later, they were both still working and saving every dime. <laughs> so it made no difference because that's how powerful attitudes like this are. And the way we relate to money is a learned thing, and, and it's hard to change. It, it's uh, And it's sad. When I see people with a lot of money not spending it and living like they're poor, it just drives me crazy. It's a sin, in my opinion. And again, I call myself a financial therapist because so much of my job involves helping clients work through their financial concerns and the things that make them tick. And uh and, and try to teach them what money is and what it isn't. So what and, and there's a difference between wealth, being wealthy and rich. Well, I thought they were one and the same, you may say. No, they're not. Wealth, or being wealthy, is how much assets you have on a piece of paper, in a brokerage account, in a savings account, in your safe. That's your wealth, your home. Being rich is your lifestyle. So you could be wealthy and have seven figures on a piece of paper that you die with. Yeah, you were a wealthy person, but you weren't a rich one because you lived like you were poor. Make sure you understand the difference between wealth and being rich, a rich lifestyle. Now, I'm not trying to tell people that it can't afford to, to blow your money and be in trouble. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm saying if you got it, don't be afraid to spend it on the quality of life that you deserve after working your whole life. So what is wealth to you? It's different to everybody. Is it the quality of food that you eat? Some people will say, you know, my wife and I, we go out to eat twice a week. We love going out to eat. That's what makes us happy. Is uh, wealth to you uh, enjoying time with family and friends? I'm glad I have money because I can fly down to Florida three, four times a year and see my grandkids. That's what makes me feel good. Uh, The fact that you give to charity, is that what wealth is to you? Travel. Travel. Me and my wife, we love to travel, right? Uh, In retirement, we're gonna travel a lot. To me, that's what makes me happy. That's what makes me feel abundant. That's the quality of life I want in retirement. I had a client in my office a couple months ago. He was 93 years old. He had a second marriage, a late marriage. She was in her 70s. And, And looking at his portfolio, he had $4.5 million in stocks and bonds. And I said, wow, you built up quite a, quite a portfolio. I'm very impressed. And his wife said to him, Lou, he has never once taken a dollar out of that account. I was like, really? Why not? Because he is a miser. He is a person that loves to accumulate wealth. And we see this a lot with very older ethnic people. Uh, They just learned their whole lives to just put money away, put money away, never touch it, never spend it. He was wealthy but not rich, that's for sure. He wasn't living a uh, a rich lifestyle. So it's important to understand. It's not easy to change. It's, It's really important that you understand what your psychology is. Do you have an attitude of lack? Do you have an attitude of abundance? Which of the five profiles are you? Are you you a gambler? Are you a high roller? Are you an abdicator that does what everybody else tells you to do? Are you a -a spendaholic, a credit junkie? Are you a squirrel that's so afraid of not having anything that you squirrel all your money away and don't live a good life and don't get a good return on your money? Or are you the money master who's mastered all these things that understands investments have risk that uh, you employ risk controls you're not fearful of investing money or spending money and living an abundant and balanced lifestyle? Financial success very very often has a lot to do with our financial psychology. Very important to understand that, uh, and I have a whole chapter on that in the book The Financial Position: How to Cure Your Money Problems, Boost Your Financial Health. Available free to you. Download it uh, at The Financial Position. Uh, .com. All right. Time for a break. My name's Lou Skatigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician. do go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments, and host of The Financial Position. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100 that's 732-905-8100 securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC, registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well you need to contact my brother Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna a Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty is number 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker, Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did.
1: Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-68721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates here's loose katigna all right let's start off the
0: show talking about retirement Uh, and when we retire uh, and so many people now are in retirement or or facing retirement uh, either because they want to uh, or because they're being forced to We know baby boomers now are entering their 60s, uh, and we're seeing a massive amount of people retiring. In my practice, I have not seen so many new clients as I'm seeing now who are entering retirement and looking for retirement advice. And one of the big decisions you have to make, and and these are irrevocable decisions, uh, is what do you do with your 401k? What do you do with your pension? Do you have an option for a lump sum or, or monthly income? What is it? And you've got to make these decisions, and these are, are life-changing decisions. And unfortunately, too many people make those decisions without professional advice. And it's so important that you get financial advice uh, just prior to retirement. The best way to do it, actually, is, is, is a couple of years before retirement. I have people come and see me now say Lou I'm not retiring for two years but you know give me an idea of what my retirement is going to look like. Am I able to retire? Am I going to be comfortable in retirement? What about inflation? What do I do with my 401k? What do I do with my pension? What, what decisions uh, should I have to make? So we kind of lay these things out so there's no 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 surprise. Unfortunately most people they wait to the last minute they come in I'm retiring in two weeks Lou what do I do? Well, the first thing we have to talk about is: Do I have a pension? Now, few and fewer people have pensions these days because corporations got away from that uh, in the eighties and nineties. They said, "Well, you know, why do we want to have this liability of paying thirty years somebody?" Uh, many people were paying them a pension longer than they even worked for us. So, corporations were smart and they got away from the pension and, and they moved towards uh, what is called the defined benefit plans. I mean. Uh, uh, Defined contribution plans, which are four hundred one k's, they're saying, okay, now we're not gonna we're not gonna put money aside for your pension, but we'll allow you to do it. So the money can come out of your pay. Maybe we'll match some of it, and it'll go into this account. It's tax deferred, and when you retire, that will be your pension. And you know, most people take advantage of it, though a lot of people don't maximize it. Uh, the minimum you should always do is at least the match that your employer gives you. That's free money. I mean, you know, it's a lot of employees, the first 4% that you put into your 401k, they're going to match you dollar for dollar. That's 100% on your money, free money. you got to do it. Now, you should do as much as you possibly can, and if you can max it out, that's great. Many people can't because they need to take home the money to pay their bills, especially in our days when inflation, uh, which we'll talk about as the show progresses. Uh, but but still, I mean, you got to do it yourself. It's all on you. Now, some people are fortunate enough to have a 401k and a pension. So let's talk about the 401k. What do you do when you retire? And right now there's $5.3 trillion in 401k plans. That's probably 20% less now with what the market's doing, but but still there's trillions of dollars in it. So do you leave the money where it is? Do you roll it over to an individual retirement account? Do you get yourself a financial planner to work with? And what's the pros and cons of each? Well, leaving it at the 401k, I don't think ever makes sense. Now, it could under certain circumstances. One thing you should know about, if you're retiring before you're 59 and a half and you're going to need income, you're going to need money from that retirement plan. And I've seen a lot of people who that's the case. They're getting fired. One thing that's going on in corporate America right now is that uh, many corporations are getting rid of people 55 to 62. They're the people with the big salaries. They're the people with the pensions. Uh, and they want to replace you with somebody for half the cost. So they're figuring out reasons to get rid of you. We're downsizing. Uh, I've heard people, uh, they're being accused of sexual harassment and all kinds of things that didn't happen. So people are coming to me, you know, in a in, in a panic. They're like, Lou, I'm, you know, 58 years old. What am I going to do? Who's going to hire me? How am I going to get by? I don't have health insurance. I have to wait till I'm 65 to get Medicare. What do I do? Well, one thing is you can, if you have a 401k, you can access it if you're 55 and older without penalty. It's one of the only retirement plans that you can do that in. So uh, if you're under 59 and a half, you're going to want to keep some money in the 401k plan so you could access it without penalty. And many people make the mistake. They roll it over to an IRA and then realize that, hey, now I have to be 59 and a half to access it. Well, that's not the case in a 401k. So if you're under 59 and a half, talk to your accountant, talk to your financial planner and find out, does it make sense to leave some money, if not all of it, in the 401k because now I can access it penalty-free. And that's probably the only reason to keep money in the 401k plan. Because if you move into an IRA, and, and, and the way you do this is something called a direct rollover where the, the check is made out to your new plan. You go to see a financial planner or a financial guy and uh, or girl, and they say, look, let's roll this over to an IRA. We have every investment in the world available to us. We have very easy withdrawal options without, you know, it, it's kind of burdensome, burdensome to take money out of a 401k, especially if you're going to do it on a regular basis. So on an IRA, you have total control of how you take the money out very very easy to get an income stream from that also as i said before you have the unlimited investment choices if you're in a um, a 401k plan at work you're limited to whatever the plan offers as far as investment options go but in an ira you can invest in every mutual fund every stock every bond gold oil food commodities uh what have you and also, you can get personal advice. You know, most people who have 401Ks, they're doing it on their own. They they don't have advice. And many people now are getting their statements on their 401Ks, and they, they can't believe how much money they're losing because the markets are tanking. And they were overexposed to the stock market. If there's one thing I could tell you that I'm seeing as the theme right now, is people are coming to me with 85% in the market at 60 years old, which is ridiculous. They double or more uh, in the market than they should be at that stage of their life. (laughs) And that has to do with the fact that we've had a bull market and a lot of people's stock portfolios have gone up a lot and they never rebalanced them and never brought them down to the proper allocation. But uh, a lot of people are now losing a lot of money just prior to retirement because they were way overexposed to risk. Now, what shouldn't you do with your 401k? Don't let them, don't, whatever you do, do not have them write you a check or send you the money. Because A, they have to withhold 20%. If they're going to send you a check to you, they're going to mandatory withhold 20%. So if you have a $300,000 401k, they're going to withhold 60 grand and send it to the government. So, you know, you got a problem. And also you're going to pay tax on the money. So don't do that. If you're taking it out of the 401k, put it into an IRA first. So it's a tax-free rollover, and then take out what you need as you need it. Very important. A lot of people make that mistake and have a check made out for themselves, and they say, wait a second. I thought my account was 300000 Why am I getting two forty? Well, we have to withhold 20%. So my advice to people in most cases is to uh, take that 401k, and roll it over to an IRA account. Find yourself a good certified financial planner to work with. And now you have the ability to invest it with them and decide how you're going to take withdrawals. So many people, they work three or four different companies. And they have these orphaned 401ks. I see it all the time. I got 30000 there. I got $50,000 there. I got... Why, why are you leaving that money there? It's stupid. Also, you have to worry that, you know, you know what's the, how's the solvency of the company and the 401k plan and their pension plan? Get it in your name. Now, what about pensions? All right, A lot of people who are lucky enough to have a pension uh, are offered different options when they retire. The first option and the common one is to get a, a monthly check for the rest of your life. And in some cases, your spouse's life. And that's the thing. You have to decide, do I want to have my spouse get 50% of what I'm getting, 100% of what I'm getting if I die, or nothing. And you have to make those decisions. The nothing is the life-only option. The life-only option is you'll get those payments every month until you die and they stop. That's the most money you'll get per month, that option, because they're only giving it for one life. Or you could say, well, you know, if I die, uh, my spouse gets 50% of what I was getting. Well, you're going to get less per month that way because now they're going to be paying two lifetimes. Or you could say 100%. I'm getting 2000 a month. If I die, my my spouse gets 2000 a month. But you're going to get less per month for that. Or you have the option many times of a lump sum. So what should you do? Should you take the monthly pension plan? Should you take the lump sum? Well, it depends. The one thing about the regular pension payment is that it's guaranteed pretty much, unless the company goes bankrupt, which is always a possibility, but the fact is you'll get a check every month at the first of the month for the rest of your life, and maybe for part part of it will go to your spouse. That's good if you're terrible with money, if you have vices, You're a gambler, or what else? Uh, Well, you don't want to take that lump sum because you don't trust yourself. And that's one of the things I I discuss with potential clients. I say, let me ask you a question. And I don't mean to be nosy, but I have to ask you this. Do you have any vices? Are you a gambler? I don't ask them if they're a drug addict. You got to draw the line somewhere, <laughs> but but is there anything in your life that would make this money at risk where you'll spend it before you die? If that's the case, then you're better off with the monthly pen, pension. But most people who are responsible with money, they're better off taking the lump sum. And I'll tell you why. There's, there's a number of reasons why. Number one, you could determine what your income is. You take a pension, a monthly pension, unless there's a cost of living adjustment, which most pensions don't have. You're going to wait for the first of the month to get your pension check every single month. No matter what inflation does, you can't take more, you can't take less, you can't go into the principal. If something comes up in your life, you're limited to the monthly payment they're going to give you. But if you roll it over into an IRA and you have a lump sum there, which for many people is hundreds of thousands of dollars, well, you could determine what your income is. You could determine if you need an extra $5,000 for something that came up. And another thing that's really important, really important, and I, I really try to stress this with clients, is that say you have a life-only pension, meaning that it's going to pay you every month until you die. Your spouse gets nothing. And you get three payments and you die. That's it. It's over. Where you maybe had a half a million dollar lump sum if you took it, but meanwhile, you got three $2,000 payments and you die, it's over. Or if you have the spousal option, all right, so, you know, you get $2,000 a month, you got it for three months, and now your spouse gets a 50% pay cut to $1,000 a month for the rest of their life. But the most important thing here is that you have no legacy, you have no inheritance to leave. If you take a lump sum and you roll it over to an IRA, you name a beneficiary, usually it's your spouse, but if your spouse predeceases you, you have contingent beneficiaries, your children, and if you die, A, your spouse could still take the same payment every month, and B, when they die, your children can inherit the balance of the money. When you get a regular pension, there is no inheritance, and this is a big deal. A lot of people don't think about it. So almost always I emphasize the flexibility that comes with a lump sum, the ability to increase your income based on inflation, the ability to take money out if something else comes up in your life, health care issues, or you want to travel or whatever, you have access to the money. Now, again, if you're bad with money and you don't trust yourself, maybe that's not the option for you. But for the average person that's responsible, I suggest the lump sum, roll it to an IRA account so there's no taxes on it, and then you take the money out as you see fit. Now, as you're taking the money out of the IRA, you're going to pay tax on it. There's no way around that. But it's so many people make the mistake of saying, you know what? I don't trust myself with money and investing it and worrying about it. I like the security of knowing that every month I'm going to get a check in the mail for the rest of my life. That's the lazy way of doing it. Uh, It is. But for some people, that's the way to go. But meanwhile, if you deal with a good, competent financial advisor and accountant and you work on it and you decide that, hey, you know, we can invest it properly, I could determine how much money I need per month, I could change that, I have the flexibility of taking more money out if I need it, Uh, and a good financial planner will um, make sure that you don't run out of money. And you can invest it as conservatively as you like or as aggressively as you like. So uh, that's important. Also, you got to look too. sometimes, um, and and it's not common, but something we see once in a while is that if you take the lump sum pension, in some cases, your health insurance stops. So you want to make sure that that's not the case, especially if you're not 65 or older, where you're going to get Medicare. Another thing about rolling over a lump sum pension is you get it out of the company's assets. Now, it's not often that corporations default or or go bankrupt on their pension, but it's happened. We've seen municipalities do that in Detroit. Detroit went bankrupt a few years back. uh, And people who are in the pension system in Detroit uh, lost uh, 66% of their pension income. Now, if they had rolled that over into their own IRA, they wouldn't be affected by that. So you should uh, consider that as well. I always believe that you should control your own money. Somebody else should not control it. I don't want to wait till the first of the month to get a payment into my account. I want to have my own source of money and funds where I could take it when I want, how I want, in coordination with a financial planner and an accountant and make sure I do it the right way. And in many cases, in many cases, I look at lump sum pensions, and the average depends on your age and whatnot. But the, the average payment, is roughly six to seven percent of the lump sum. So in a diversified portfolio, there's no reason why you can't take out five, six, seven percent per year, and still have a big chunk of money to use in uh, the final years of your life, or long term health care, or to leave to your children. But you got to really um, sit down with a financial advisor and really discuss all your options way before it happens. I'm seeing people now that are two years away from retirement, and we're talking about the strategy uh, that we're going to employ as we get closer and closer to retirement. So lots of decisions to make when you retire. What to do with your 401K. If you have a pension, do I take the the monthly income? What about the spousal options? What's the pros and cons of doing that? Uh, and, and I don't like the fact that my spouse is going to get 50% of what I'm getting now. Why should my spouse get a 50% pay cut because I die? Another thing, too, you got to realize that you know if you're taking a pension, your employer wants you to die. I mean, it's true. I mean, from a financial aspect, the the payments will stop at some point when you and your spouse die. They prefer you die together when an airplane crash. As soon as you start getting your payments. And I've seen this. I've seen clients who have taken the monthly income only to pass away early in their lives and leave hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table for their spouse or for their children. So these, these are life events. I mean, when you're entering retirement, you need, you can't do this on your own. You're foolish if you do. See a competent financial advisor. And I'm not talking about a stockbroker or an insurance agent that wants to sell you something. I'm talking about a competent financial planner, certified financial planner that can go over all your options with you. And if you have orphaned 401ks, now's a good time to consolidate them into to an IRA account. You got four 401ks, you got four different statements coming in. Why not just roll them all over into one IRA account and invest it properly? Take income as you need it. But too many people are lazy. You know, they, they retire and they, uh, they just say, I oh, just leave it where it is. Where they separate. And that's the one thing about a 401k or a 403b. A 403b is a 401k-like account for people who work for schools or hospitals or government. It's the same thing. Same rules. Uh Why not take it and put it into your own account, your own IRA, invest it the way you want. You want to put it all in IBM stock, go do it. You want to go Tesla? Go ahead, do it. Now, is that smart? No, you don't want to risk your, your retirement in one company. And a good financial planner is going to make sure that you don't do that, that you're diversified, that, that the risk you're taking is appropriate for your age and, and what you need your money to do. Uh, but I see people that have already made the decisions, and they were wrong decisions. They've taken the annuity, they've taken the monthly income, uh, and uh, and I want to bang my head against the wall. Because you just disinherited your children. There's no money left for them. And think about it, if you had a half a million dollars in a rollover, right, in a, a lump sum pension rollover, and you just take the income it generates, you're still going to have the 500000 for your spouse. And if your spouse passes away for your children... And that's the thing, is that when you die or your spouse dies, it goes back to the company. It doesn't go to your children. The entire inheritance for your children is gone. So, you know, for most people, rolling over the 401k to an IRA, if you get a lump sum option in your pension to take it, because of of the flexibility that it offers you as far as how you invest it, how you take it. Things happen in life, uh, that's for sure. And sometimes we need to get our hands on money. But if you're getting a $2,000 a month pension as opposed to a lump sum, you don't have the flexibility to go into that account and take the money out as you need it. And it's all about flexibility, and it's all about inheritance. So uh, you're approaching retirement. uh, You have orphaned 401Ks. Now's the time to talk to a financial advisor. All right, there you have it. Two hours of the best of The Financial Physician. Hopefully you learned something. You enjoyed our program today. We'll be, we will be back live next Sunday uh, to talk about money, markets, and politics and to do our normal show. Uh, thanks for joining us. Remember the website. The podcast is there at thefinancialphysician.com. Love your emails. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I answer each and every email. You want to make a financial consultation with me? No obligation. No cost. 732- is the phone number. Have a wonderful week and join me next Sunday and every Sunday for the next edition of The Financial Physician.